Hi, this is Day for Night with Caridad's Finch, a series that looks at the intersection between theater and poetry and the edgelands in the wilderness. This is a new season of Day for Night. First episode, we shall see what the year will bring. I wanted to start the year uh, with a tribute recording, uh, specifically to the playwright Oliver Emanuel, who passed away December 19th, 2023. He was born in Kent, England, 1980, and died in Glasgow. Uh, lived in Glasgow since 2006 and was very influential in the Scottish theatre scene as not only a playwright and radio dramatist, but also as a teacher and mentor. Very beloved in the field. Uh, he passed away from brain cancer and had been uh, battling it for uh, some time. I wanted to highlight one of his radio plays, a beautiful play called The History of Paper. I feel like radio plays uh, don't get talked about very much <laughs> in, uh, in the world of dramatic writing. Uh, they are maybe taken for granted, is my assumption. Um, you know, in the scholarship around new writing that exists in the field, I would say that I'm not, this is not a scientific guess, but I would say that it, my hunch is that about 95% of writing about new writing in theater tends to focus on in-person theater and hardly ever uh, mentions radio drama as part of the field of new writing. Radio drama gets categorized sort of on the side, I would say, a kind of a, not a poor substitute, but not on the same level. Uh, and I feel like some incredibly impactful and beautiful work is happening in radio drama and has been for a very, very long time. Uh, it's certainly a, a form uh, where the writers have cut their teeth, um, uh, Pinter, Stoppard, and many, many, many writers. Um, it's a form that is quite successful in, in certain countries and not, not so much in others, uh, depending on the habits of broadcasting. Um, so, so all to say is that I, I feel like it's a field that deserves love, more love than it usually gets, and, and more recognition and documentation around the area of new writing. So in the spirit of honoring Oliver, uh, beloved playwright in our field, and reading from his work, uh, it's also in tribute to um, work that sometimes gets lost and faded from uh, recognition. So this is a, I'm gonna read from a beautiful play by Oliver's called A History of Paper. It was uh, on BBC uh, Radio 4, uh, originally broadcast in 2016. Uh, and it was recorded uh, in 2015. And it's a two-hander, it's for two actors, uh, two characters, uh, one of them called him, who is identified as Scottish in his 30s, and another character called her, was identified as English in her 30s. Scene one, 
present-day violence a bedroom. M speaks. Someone once wrote that love is short, but forgetting takes a long time. I forget who. In the corner of my bedroom is a box, a big cardboard box with a picture of a van on it, standard. Inside are pieces of paper. There is a menu for Pizza Express, an origami flower, some used plane tickets, letters, cards, and half a draft of a terrible novel. I guess to anyone else, it's a load of rubbish. But to me, well, it's the whole story. He opens the box and rummages through it. He pulls out a postcard and it begins with a postcard. Scene two, his Glasgow flat, 1999. Music plays, Creep by Radiohead. A postcard shoved through my letterbox at approximately quarter past midnight on Tuesday, 4 December, 1999. It's almost a millennium. I'm 29. My girlfriend left six months ago, taking everything. And I've spent every evening since getting drunk and listening to Radiohead at full volume. I know, I know, pathetic, but it's the only album the woman left me and I find it comforting. Then the postcard falls onto the doormat and everything changes. Sometimes a piece of paper can do that. Scene three, her speaks a history of paper. Scene four, book is open, page turned. Her continues speaking. Introduction, paper is everywhere. It's true, look around you. There's tissue paper for blowing her nose, paper money for buying things, letters, shopping lists, bus tickets, train tickets, cinema tickets, confetti, passports, postcards, love notes, hate mail, toilet roll, newspapers, bills, more bills, posters, last will and testament, and post-it notes to remind you not to forget that thing you always forget. Imagine your life without paper for a second. Can't do it, can you? Paper is essential to our lives, our spiritual, educational, legal, and sex lives. We write our dreams on paper. We tell our secrets. Paper is an expression of our deepest selves. Paper is us. And it's everywhere. An autumn day, a tree in the wind, leaves falling. Scene five, 1999, he turns the postcard in his hand, music continues. It's a postcard of a beach. On the back are the words, her. Hello, number four, please could you shut up? Your music is doing like bloody head in. Thanks, number six. What the, don't know the neighbors. It's not, I'm not unfriendly, but I've, I've been committed to my own misery these last months and not been paying proper attention. He goes to the stereo and switches off the music. I rip a page from an old Woolworths notebook. I'm supposed to be writing a novel about a man who lives with an invisible cat, a searing indictment of 20th century capitalism, but mostly I use it for shopping lists. He rips a page and writes, dear number six, I'm sorry. He stops. Feels somehow inadequate, but limp. Ah, 
and I have an idea. He tears a piece of paper and begins to fold. When we were trying to make a go of it, my ex and I went to an origami class. Our relationship counselor said it would be a good idea to have hobbies. Trouble was, she hated it and I loved it. Further evidence that we needed it as we were doomed. There we go. He holds up the finished article. It's a rose. Scene six. Present, present day. He's picking through the box of paper. Oh, you're in here somewhere. Where are you? He finds the rose. Ah, flattened and a bit faded. The paper's old. But a rose is a rose is a rose. He sniffs it. That dusty paper smell. Like whiskey and rain and skin and everything brilliant. Ah, oh, is there a better smell in the world? Scene seven. 1999, the next morning. A knock on his door. He opens it, yawning. Hello? Her. Oh, hey. It's her? I don't know it yet, but it is. Can, can, can I help you? I'm suddenly aware that I'm wearing my mom's old dressing gown and my skin is slick with sweat from last night's whiskey. I'm from next door, number six. She's wearing a dark blue pinstripe suit. Her hair is bright pink and done up in a tight knot. She has very pale skin and big green eyes. Oh, she is stunningly, mind-blowingly, embarrassingly beautiful. Uh, 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 I'm really sorry about the noise. I didn't realize. I can't look her in the eye. No, it's cool. No, it's not. It's awful. I'm sorry. I overreacted. I, I know that breakups can be tough. How did you? Oh, well. I'm afraid I held the front door open when she was carrying her boxes down to the van. Oh. Plus, you know, Radiohead. It's a giveaway, isn't it? A bit, yeah. She holds up the rose. Did you make this rose? Um, uh, I, I was drunk. <laughs> I wanted to say sorry. I thought it was a good idea at the time. It's beautiful. Is it? Seriously? Is it origami? That's right. I've seen it before, but didn't know you could make things as lovely as this. Really? I keep looking at it, but I can't figure it out. Sort of magic, isn't it? Uh, could have been the end of it, eh? Ta, very much. Close the door. Smile at each other when you meet in the clothes, but it's not. It's not because the next thing I know, I'm saying these words. Would you like to go to dinner with me? Don't know where they came from. Didn't thank them. It just came out. There's a new pizza place around the corner. It's called Pete's Express. I was going to check it out. There's that moment, like turning a page, when the next thing could be anything. You have no idea, and all you can do is hope. Don't know if you plans tonight or no, I don't. I that's an apology for the noise. No, that's I mean I understand if you don't want, yeah. That sounds great. It was a rose. That's what swung it for me, I reckon. A piece of folded paper. Great, I'll knock on your door at seven. Great, great. He smiled. She walks away, he closes the door. Scene eight. Pages are turned. Fur speaks. Chapter 99, the last piece of paper. It's the end of the world almost. The librarian breathes through an oxygen mask and walks slowly down a metallic hallway. The trees are gone. The rivers and oceans are gone. 
The natural resources of the earth are deep in the red. Those humans that have survived are forced to live in underground bunkers. A solitary librarian dwelling deep in the Himalayas is on his final round of the day. The librarian opens an airlock. The librarian knows the stories of the past, a paper rich past of the world consumed a million tons of paper a day. He continues to walk. It takes 40,000 liters of water to make a ton of paper, so of course this gluttony could only last so long. But no one guessed that the end of paper would be the end of humanity too. The librarian stops in front of a display case, he sighs. The librarian finds it hard to imagine that previous existence. He knows only the airless desert earth. He knows only the single piece of paper that comprises the universe's remaining library. He switches on the light and the piece of paper is illuminated. He does this every day. He switches on the light of the display case and gazes at this unprepossessing fragment. It comforts him. In the small hours of the endless night, the simple marks on the square scrap of paper are a reminder of what went before. He touches the glass. He knows the numbers so well, knows them like a prayer, even though their meaning was lost long ago. Him reads through the mas oxygen mask. Zero, seven, seven, one, six, three, one, six, seven, one. Scene 9, 1999, Pizza Express Evening. They are eating pizzas. He's in Midflow. Music plays Creep by Karen Souza. Tim speaks. But it's the end of the world, eh? I mean, don't misunderstand me. I'm not religious or anything. Don't believe in stars, signs, or the rapture. Not superstitious. Walk under ladders all the time. I've broken tons of mirrors. How? What? How did you break a ton of mirrors? A long story. I worked in a factory once. It's stupid. The mirrors aren't the point. What's the point? Everything's going to stop, cease, end in less than a month. You really buy this Y2K thing? Totally, don't you? Oh, think about it. Whole world's run by computers. Banks, air traffic control, even the little strip on your train ticket is read by a computer. What's the worst that could happen? Planes fall out of the sky. Governments collapse. I miss my train for work. Wouldn't it be kind of peaceful? Peaceful? Yeah. What would we really miss? It'd be like starting again on a fresh blank page. We could get down to essentials and chuck the rest. He shakes his head. Ah, it'd be awful. I'd have to work in the fields. She laughs. I like the idea of a simple life. They eat pizza. How's your pizza? Good. It's all right, and here I. If only they'd stop playing the terrible jazz. I like jazz. No one likes jazz. I do. Weirdo. They eat pizza. When's the moment of love? Is it now? Was it 10 minutes ago? Must be a moment, I feel like if I knew what it was, I could understand. 
But now it's like something is pulling at me, like a rock, like gravity. Falling, falling, there's nothing I can do. So, so you were saying about that thing, what did you say before when I... They stop. Go ahead, you. Now tell me about yourself, what's it you do? I'm a journalist, freelance. I cover lifestyle, uh, travel and food mostly. Impressive? Not really. A lot of lonely nights and terrible meals. I am five-star hotels. It's tough. I'm so, so sorry. And it's a disaster for relationships, of course. Never around for more than a couple of weeks. Never in the same place. Always on the move. Most men don't like that. Fools. Yeah, but it's my fault, really. It's who I am. I get bored easily. Is that why you do that to your hair? What, don't you like it? No, I do. Is there something wrong with it? No, no, no. I, I, I didn't mean it like that. Pink suits you. I never thought of it before. I suppose the hair is part of it. I, I change it every couple of months. What's next? Not sure. What do you reckon? Green. You think? I match your eyes. Nice. What's it you do? I work in a bookshop. It's crap. I hate it. We sell 20 times more Jeffrey Archer than Jane Austen. Mm. Is there something else you want to do? I want to write novels and that. Why don't you? Try. I'm very good at chapter ones. I've got chapter ones nailed. Uh, it's the rest of it I'm missing. Sure, you'll finish a book one day. I maybe. You will, I know it. She's being nice. I know she is. It's the way she says it. It's not the force of a prediction. Will you make something for me now? Hey, eh? Some origami. Really? Why not? Okay. Uh, give me that paper mat. She passes her paper mat. The paper's got to be square. Why? That's the rule. He tears the paper to make a square, begins to fold all this as he makes the crane. You've got very big hands. Do I? Yeah. And what does that signify? Mm. Big hands mean good for folding. Ha. We'll see, won't we? What's it going to be? Mm. For you. I reckon it'll be a crane. A crane? The bird, uh, not the big mechanical thingy. Ah, I get it. Crane is a holy creature in Japan. Is it? Hi. I say a crane can live for a thousand years. Uh, didn't know that. There's a legend. And if a person makes a thousand paper cranes, they're granted a wish. What kind of wish? Anything. Good luck, long life. Dinner with an attractive neighbor. Ah, it both works. Like you said before, origami is magic. Folds back the wings. And done. Almost. All we have to do is flip it over and blow its stomach. Shut up. Seriously, come on, blow. He holds it up and she blows. The crane inflates. There you go. Bob's your mother's brother. 
brilliant. Oh, it's nothing. Thank you. My pleasure. But now it's awkward because I don't have anything to give you. No, no, you don't have to. Wait a second. Have you got a pen? Uh, not on me. I've got one in my bag. She goes into her bag and finds a pen. Give me that piece of bit of paper. He hands it over and she scribbles on it. What's this? My number. But you live next door. Are you moving? I'm going on assignment tomorrow. That's my mobile. Give me a ring and we could do this again sometime. If you want to, that is. Scene 10. A few pages reflect. A train leaves the station. Her speaks. Chapter 37. Hemingway's Suitcase. The year is 1922. It's an icy December in Paris. A young woman named Hadley boards a train at the Gare de Lyon to meet her husband in Geneva. Ernest is a journalist covering the peace conference. Hadley has with her a suitcase of Ernest's writing, a draft of a novel, and several short stories. Ernest had insisted she bring everything. When Hadley arrives in Geneva, she meets her expectant husband, tears in her eyes. She's mislaid the suitcase somewhere along the way. Letters are sent. Adverts are posted and a reward offered. The suitcase is never found. We can only speculate as to what masterpieces the world might be missing. Ernest readily forgave Hadley her mistake, although some critics have speculated as to whether this was the beginning of the end of their marriage. If nothing else, the tale of Ernest Hemingway's missing suitcase is proof that it's not always the paper itself that has value what's written on it? The train hoots its horn as it disappears into a tunnel. And that's an excerpt from A History of Paper by Oliver Emanuel. As always, this is about you and I in this theater. You there in the dark, and I here wondering who you are. Thanks for listening today or night.